This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. Wednesday. You know what that means. Welcome to episode 85 of the ABZ Football Podcast. Uh, I'm Gary Scott. Joining me tonight is Gav J. Baxter. Um, Gav, <laughs> where do we go with that statement that has come out from the club tonight? If it's okay with you, I will come back to you with a statement in roughly 24 to 48 hours. Sounds good to me. Somehow. I don't quite <laughs> understand how. But somehow we've come away with a statement that's the worst possible response to the Darvel defeat and the situation we're in than outright coming in, out and backing the manager. I know. It's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, like, first of all, obviously I was on the show on um, Monday night that you and Graham did, uh, for which I do need to give you a a round of applause, a a wonderful three-part journey, a movie, if you will, following... AFC through the worst night in our history. I think the uh, the download rates would suggest the term needle mover is appropriate. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we the ones. We the ones. You and Graham, the ones. But um, we've now had, well, we're coming up to now 48 hours since the full-time whistle went. We're, we're chatting now at quarter to nine on, on Wednesday evening. I thought we might go the full 48 hours before the club actually said anything of any fucking note about Monday night. Uh, we we managed to get there eventually. It did come in. Not quite the 1903 press release where we maybe all expecting. But as you've just touched on, in a bizarre way, they've actually made it worse somehow. And I'm not entirely sure how that's even fucking possible. Shall we, for the, uh, for the lucky that are, um, you know, I envy their ignorance. Shall we maybe read the statement out in its entirety? Yeah. Do you want to I think, I think it's fucking hilarious. If you've got it up, I've got it here. So you go for cha- it. Chairman Dave Cormack has tonight released the following statement. We all recognise that Monday's disastrous result in the Scottish Cup was totally unacceptable. Red flag one. It added insult to injury. Red flag two. After such a poor result against Hearts, following what was a strong performance in the semi-final against Rangers at Hamden. The Football Monitoring Board, red flag three, comprising Stuart Milne, Willie Garner, Stephen Gunn, red flag four, and me, have now had a full and frank red flag meeting. Five. Yeah, have now had a full and frank meeting with Jim. It wasn't an easy conversation, but necessary after the overall poor results since the World Cup break. From our wider discussions over the last two days, we believe that the senior players and the squad are behind the manager. 
Combined with our discussions at today's meeting, Jim will be in the dugout on Saturday. They don't say which dugout, to be fair. So, you know, who knows? However, to be clear, Jim has been left in no doubt that the board and the fans are seeking an immediate response from him and the players. End quote. There we have it. Um, do, do we, will we break it down? Is that what we should do? Will we deep dive this statement? Deep dive this three, four paragraph statement. Yeah, why not? Let's do it. Let's do it. So uh, Monday's disastrous result. I would go further. It's the worst, worst result in our football club's history. Was totally accept- unacceptable. Of course it was. It added insult to injury. Uh, no, Dave goes a little bit further than that, to be honest with you. But let's go here. Um, the football monitoring board. What the actual fuck? That is That in itself is worthy of the club being shut down. Yeah, absolutely. The, invent- I mean, the invention of that term, and if there is such a <laughs> such an Aberdeen footballing Cobra group, I guess you might want to call it, comprised of, well, at least two people that have no business being involved in it. Which two? <laughs> well, I mean, Stephen Gunn and Dave Cormack are the instant ones that come to mind. Well, I'd go further than that. I would suggest oh, that... a part of it, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, okay. Well, um, none of them. None of them. I mean, like, so you've got, what I don't understand about this is, so now we have a football monitoring board to make a decision about what happens with the football manager, apparently. Now, the last time I checked the old organogram, and this was obviously something that confused Gav the last time we spoke about one. um, Still not convinced this is like some kind of filth. It is a thing. Well, this is filth. This is, this tonight is absolute filth. X-rated. This sounds like inflatable filth. (laughs) Um. I don't remember the football monitoring board appearing on the org chart the last time we saw it. Ultimate responsibility for the football operation fell at the door of who? I believe it was the DOF. Yes, exactly. It was Stephen Gunn. So apparently now we need a football monitoring board to hold Stephen Gunn's hand or to make decisions which ultimately should fall within his remit. And I still am baffled by this one on the level that ultimately football operations fall at the door of Stephen Gunn. If things are not working, his position needs to be questioned. Him being on the football monitoring board to analyse whether or not things are going well or not on the football side feels a little bit to me like Turkey's voting for Christmas, surely. Agreed. Because surely it's in his interest to keep Jim Goodwin in the job for as long as possible because failing to do so would reflect badly on Stephen Gunn. That is not unfair. Yeah, so also on the football monitoring board, Stuart Mill, uh, a man with a, a wonderfully storied track record in football and managerial appointments, and Dave Cormack, who is currently sitting on a two-for-two two track record on appointment of managers and a three-for-three three in failed seasons as director of Aberdeen Football Club. So again, brings with him a lot of um, nous and experience to that role as well. And Willie Garner, okay, played the game, was assistant manager for a while, but let's not pretend otherwise left the game a long, long time ago. So is this really the best fit of people who should be making this decision on behalf of the football club? And curiously, no mention here at all about the board of directors um, being involved in this. So what does that say about the positions of the likes of Tom Crotty and Demetrius at Atlanta United? Where are they sitting in this whole thing? Let's be honest, this, this whole thing is just a complete... It's a fucking shit show, isn't it? We used to laugh at other clubs for their statements and for the absolute clusterfuck that their clubs were but this is taking the piss to be fair though at least we haven't come out of this like out of the blue we've been warming up to this kind of thing we have yeah it's true you know it's not completely out of the blue 
shall we shall we go a little bit further see what else is in there um so yeah apparently they believe the senior players in the squad are behind the manager um i'm not entirely sure i see the evidence of that and certainly um based on a number of different things that have been rumored some of which i believe um may be true some of which i think are wildly off the mark but i'm not entirely convinced that that is the case that the, the not just the senior managers players uh, not just the senior players players in general are behind the manager um jim's in the dugout saturday i mean jeezo what a laugh easter road's gonna be on saturday i believe i can't recall who said it but someone on twitter referred to it that this is going to be like motherwell at fur park scottish cup on steroids yeah as far as I think sheer vitriol. And I think the final caveat in this whole statement is the idea that a victory against Hibs is going to go some way to easing the the feeling of outright anger and disenfranchisement of the of the supporters. Where well, now we now appear to be operating on a, a game-to-game basis. And that's exactly what this is as well now, isn't it? It's not even as though if they come out tonight and said Jim's got the full and unequivocal backing of the board until the end of the season. And we'll reassess it then. I would not be happy with that because I think Jim Goodwin should have been relieved from his duties on Monday evening after that result. And I think there should have then been a full-blown root and branch review of everything going on at the football club falling off the back of that. But if they had spent 48 hours trying to take the heat out of the situation, analysing God knows what they would analyse to get to a decision point that leads you to keep Jim Goodwin in situ, then you kind of have to back him then to the end of the season. Because with that wording for me, that last sentence, if we do not win on Saturday, he's got to go, surely. And all we've done now is heaped more pressure on the manager, on the squad, to go to to Easter Road and to win. Now, okay, we might be very fortunate because it is Hibs we're playing and they've got some big issues of their own. But if we don't win on Saturday, we're right back where we've been for the last 48 hours all over again, aren't we? You know what? I mean, this is not going to be a popular opinion amongst some people, but this is actually, maybe what it is, is that Jim Goodwin arrived at the meeting with like a new suit on that he'd bought in Glasgow when he was out shopping. <laughs> and they just thought, Jim, you're looking sharp. Got a renewed sense of confidence. Now you, you rock that on the touchline. We'll back you. I almost feel sorry for him. I actually do, because I think we're actually, in a way, throwing him to the wolves. I agree. He I needs think- to- he needs to be I mean you see it on the the post-match at Darvel he can't even you know lift his head off the ground he's so defeated when he's talking to the journalists he's yeah. he's done he might not you know be admitting it um, in words but anyone can see it that he's done this job is too much for him and you know he was given an opportunity of course he took it quite simply this is not the time for him to be uh, in charge of a club like Aberdeen and he needs to be put out of his misery but instead, we are going to send him into the lion's den at Easter Road. And it doesn't matter what the result is. The fans are not going to react this in is any thing. way positively. It doesn't matter if he was sacked on Monday night. It doesn't matter if he was sacked today. This is not going to go away. Jim Goodwin does not have a, I was going to say long term, he doesn't have a medium term future in my eyes as Aberdeen Football Club manager because he cannot... The result on Monday night is inex- inescapable. He cannot get past that in the eyes of the support. No matter what happens now, between now and the end of the season, he can't get past that. It just it, Michael Grant summed up really well today in his article in the Times. There are, there are results out there 
that just simply are inexcusable and you can't dress them up with you know word salads about oh we go again and the players are hurting and you know we're gonna go out there and make it right that on monday night was it you've even seen it i mean how many people online have been saying need to give more time you know we can't turn into a watford or a malaga who continually sack managers and on one hand, I kind of see that argument and I see that point. But at the same time, when the when the evidence is staring you as blankly in the face as it has been now for probably since Tana Dyson, I think even, you know, the three of us on the show have probably been kind of not wanting to go down to knee-jerk a, a place with this and call for the head of a manager after he'd only been in the job for like six, seven months at that point. But the kind of warning signs were already there. But even all those people who were trying to be as rational and maybe long-term thinking as they possibly could be, every single one of them on Monday night was in the same place. Have, have you literally seen anyone online, met anybody real who thinks that Jim Gooden should stay? Um, well, I don't know if he's a real person or not, but um, who was saying that he might be worth keeping with? Spears. That's well, all. Yeah, but he defends Spears. racists. So this is you know this is this is very true, and it is it's the cliche central of you know what what we did with Glass. You know that's it's not going to work well if we become a a team that sack managers at the drop of a hat. But you know, if Darvel was a game in isolation, you could say, well, you know what, as shit as it is, these things happen. That's what happens in cup games. But it's we're not knee jerking on the back of one game. This is a culmination. Exactly. Of what nearly 12 months of a whole lot of warning signs. And yeah. specifically going into, into this season, like you say, you've got Tanner Dice, you've got the way we set up against Celtic, you've got um the Rangers game at home, which almost hurts the most because it showed for a very brief spell what our team is actually capable of. And then, you know, we get into a position of being ahead. We must have forgotten the the sound bites, the the terms that are on the oh yes, on the on the what was it? Sorry, what was it called? The philosophy, philosophy the that Michael Mastery, that look that Michael Owen looking thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, mastery, awareness, blah blah blah. I need to get this thing up. Where is it? But then, of course, yes. Yeah, so we get we obviously just forgot about that, and then you know we become standard Scottish team versus Old Firm, lucky enough to be ahead, and you know we throw the game away and then you know got Tyne Castle you've got there's other things that I now can't think of Pilmarnock Rugby Park Darvel you know was just the cherry on the icing on the cake and there's just no way back I've got it right in front of me now our footballing philosophy this was what was laid out roughly two years ago underpinning our aim to be a UEFA top 100 club competing and winning regularly in all competitions <laughs> it's our football philosophy Playing an exciting brand of football built around a core of homegrown talent. The AFC philosophy encompasses 10 key principles. Awareness. Football mastery. <laughs> Don't really know where Tony Strip fits into that, but... Hey. Responsibility. Well, the board have... Yeah. Abdicated theirs abdicated in the last 48 hours, it's fair to say. Positivity. Well, let's Talk see about what... draining the positivity out of this season. Let's Good luck see. selling season tickets in March at this rate, lads. Let's see what that, uh, how much positivity there is going on in the away end at Easter Road. Desire. <laughs> Speed. Again, see Tony's shirt. Yeah. Dominate the 1v1s. Executes under pressure. 
I mean, if there's one thing, if there's one thing that doesn't sum up, you know, either Stephen Glass or Jim Goodwin's reigns as manager of Aberdeen, never beaten, often beaten, actually. often beaten, yeah, and be heard. Which again, go back to the last forty hours, and we have not heard a peep until the secret Cobra meeting at a top secret <laughs> bunker somewhere in I don't know Lawrence Kirk, um, and then we hear the possibly the worst statement ever issued by a top flight club in Scotland. I mean, it nearly it nearly tops concomitant, doesn't it? It's nearly. up there. It's right up there. Um, just, <laughs> I don't even know. I honestly don't even know what to make of this anymore. I, I jokingly said to someone this afternoon, I'm really here for the banter this evening when we announce he's staying. Half joking and then half thinking to myself, then they might actually do that. Um, just, we're... Where where do we go from this now? I just he's 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 a dead man walking, Goodwin, right? This is just laughable that we've got to this position now. Um I have seen people do the con do the comparison between Robbie Nielsen and Hearts and Broad Rangers and as you quite eloquently pointed out on STV News last night, it's not an Apple's an Apple situation at that point. Hearts were in the championship, they're entire MO for that season was to get back to the top flight. They were top of the championship at that point by quite a distance, as I remember. I think they were on a nine-game winning streak at that point. Nine Winning or an unbeaten streak? Unbeaten, one of the two. Um, they have a horrendous result against Broder Rangers, but who at the time were highly champions, I'm pretty certain. Um, not that that's uh, a defence of this, but also they were fifth tier, Hearts were second tier. The gap is somewhat smaller than top tier to tier six as is what happens on Monday. That said, I think Darvel's position is false from that perspective, but ultimately in the pyramid, that's where they are. So you have to go with it. Um, If we had been, and you're right about this, if we had been coasting in third place at this moment in time and it was sewn up and we were on a run of really dominating teams and playing well, and maybe we're a bit unlucky at Hamden in the League Cup semi-final, but were well clear of hearts, for example, uh, and looked really comfortable in third place. There could maybe have been an argument where you su- suggested, well, okay, you have to put that Darvel result down to a one-off, a blip. It'll be monitored severely, but our stated aim for the season was to get back into Europe, and we are on track to do that, and third place will probably guarantee group stage football. So we're not going to you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater here. We're going to carry on. But as you say, that's not where we are. Our, our trajectory since the World Cup break is going in one direction. Um, for anyone who needs to know it's downwards we're as close to the playoff places for relegation as we are to third place now we're now out of both cups and we've had the most embarrassing result in our club's history the the, the two situations are just not compatible in my head in any stretch of the imagination no and for those that maybe are not aware that record post world cup is one win in nine one draw and i believe seven defeats i think that's what makes up the maths um but you know what i brought the little uh black notebook back last week but i actually forgot the key piece of information that was in it which was i can update it now it's the jim goodwin record okay go for it if we as we all accept that he was in charge for the one one draw at fur park yes when we were introduced to jim goodwin with that wonderful slow motion video in the car park 42 games played now, 17 wins, 18 defeats, 7 draws, and that win column is padded out. It certainly is. Very much so by 6 wins against 
lower league opposition. You take the four games in the League Cup and then Annan, sorry, the four games in the League Cup group stage and Athletic Park Thistle. So there's three League Two teams in there. There is Peterhead who are doing their damnedest to be a League Two team and then two middling championship teams. Yeah. Over a third of his victories have come against lower league opposition. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a more than big enough sample size there to tell us that this is simply not working. Uh, definitely absolutely and this is the other thing as well is that now is this wildly inconsistent approach from our board around how and when they decide to jettison managers um jim goodwin is being given a stay of execution for a result that on paper is well it's not on paper factually is significantly worse than the result that cost stephen glass his job um yeah, the result itself. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Stephen Glass wasn't sat purely because of the Motherwell. It, well, result, I was going to say right. Stephen Glass wasn't sat purely because of the Motherwell game. It was sat because of how bad the league form had been and how you know we were out of both cups at that point as well. But where's but, the parallels? Um, no, I, I absolutely accept that. I, I just, I don't really care for any um, retrospective looking on Glass and trying to make out that he was hard done by there. No, I, I'm not um, doing that. What I'm saying is, there's a lack of consistency here in the way yeah, that they, yeah, they've I been mean, approaching this. I suspect that you know. Um, I think Goodwin is maybe um, capable of putting on uh, a better defensivist position in a one-off meeting in these kind of situations than, than Glass might have been. But that's not good enough. I mean, if we go back, Derek McInnes, I'm sure, was, would have been capable of putting up a very good defensivist record if you challenged him on it. But we're just, we're, we're, Sorry, run, we're, run, we're run by just outright buffoons. I don't really know what else there to say about it. It's funny you say that because I've just literally seen... Uh, uh, a whatsapp message come through which basically states in quote marks a football monitoring board comprising of a builder a banker an it consultant and a travel agent thumbs up emoji and you know it's hard to argue with that i mean it's, it's maybe a little bit harsh to call Stephen gun a travel agent but you know it was not a director of football that's one thing no exactly and this is the this is the ultimate sentiment now isn't it i mean i genuinely thought gav when we postponed talking last night because we had an inkling something might happen today hey, um, when i got the invite to go to cormac park last night i was convinced that's because they needed help like boxing up goodwin's belongings <laughs> and we needed some help shifting sharp stuff into the car um and then you know of course we got there and yeah, there was nothing it's uh, we are we're we're run by buffoons aren't we i I fundamentally cannot wrap my head around the fact that they've actually come to a decision today and gone, you know what? This is definitely the way to go. I mean, talk about not even reading the room. And I said on when I was on, you know, um, BBC Scotland last night on Report in Scotland, tell you what, talk about profile raising for the ABZFP last night, dominating the national airwaves. But But I said it like normally you might not use Twitter as the kind of general sensible barometer of stuff right because you've got a lot of very sensible people there and um the occasional moon howler right but when you have fans last night you know like high profile fans last night guys who will generally not you know put their head above the parapet when it comes to talking about the football club in terms of the way it's run etc i'm thinking about guys like paul laurie for example right who might privately feel a certain way, but they 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 probably won't say it publicly. When even these guys are coming out publicly on Twitter last night to say, I don't normally want to call for the manager to go, but he has to go. Like, you think at that point, 
talk about not reading the room, Dave. Uh, is this an ego thing for Dave Cormack now? Will his ego not allow him to admit he has fucked this up twice? Is it because it fundamentally calls into question his appointment of Stephen Gunn in the director of football role? And he doesn't want to lose the control he has over the club via Stephen Gunn? Uh, what is this? Why this? Why the inertia? Why the paralysis we've seen for the last 48 hours? That was the other thing that I, I was interested by, was this whole piece around how we had to have the chat with Crotty and Dimitrios back in the States and how that was maybe holding things up. And it's a bit like, how beholden are we now to our American overlords that these are the guys that we have to talk to to get the blessing to do this or not? Well, I mean, they're playing the long game with Shade Morris, to be fair. True. Uh, there's there's, there's too I've much to unpackage of, in that. I know, uh, I know. This is what happens when I don't series, In that series of questions. And the answer is, I, I don't know. Quite simply, um, but it just in the last few years, there's just there's so much that's been happened, and it's, there's a lot of little things as well that just don't make sense with the way we're running our football club. You know, you go back to that message, you know, of I'm gonna have to bring up the uh, that wonderful slide again. You know, I play an exciting brand of football built around a core of homegrown talent. That was something Stephen Glass and Stephen Gunn made clear when um, they did yep. their little YouTube video um, saying that we weren't going to sign players for the sake of it if they might block the passage of a, a young player into our first team. Just take, for example, in the League Cup group stage, we had Mason Hancock playing left back and he was growing into the role. And I think he put his best game in against Wraith Rovers. Yeah, I thought he, did well thing, he was kind of growing into it. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And then the next, and you know, with Jim Goodwin had mentioned that he and Jack Millen had really stood out in the preseason campaign and that they were going to have places in the team. Next thing you know, we bring in, and I'm not singling up Hayden Coulson because I think he's a bad player, but next thing we bring in a 24 year old from England with a history of injuries and, you know, for his age, a real lack of, of game time, like game experience yeah. and someone who's not necessarily, I mean, we've brought Hayden Coulson on loan. He's not as it stands going to, you know, turn into any kind of tangible reward for Aberdeen. Yeah, Mason Hancock is a player if we develop we can actually turn into something or Look work with Jack. Jack McKenzie you know I know you don't rate Jack McKenzie but work with him he's on a long term contract with the club work with him make him better coach him there's that I mean there's again let's look at Jack Mill we decided yep. in the summer that we want to turn this guy into a centre back we keep him around for six months I guess just trading with the first team but never actually wanting to involve him in any meaningful first-team action. We then decide that we're going to send him out on loan to Kelly Hearts, and lo and behold, he's now playing centre midfield for Kelly Hearts. Yeah. In these kind of setups, you would have something written into the contract to say that he has to play centre-back unless or else you have to, you know, pay us his whole weekly salary. It happens in loan deals. Yeah. I go back to that Stephen Glass, Stephen Gunn chat again, but we're not going to sign players for the sake of it. By the way, here's Austin Samuels. He's yeah. a striker that doesn't score goals. So we're going to turn him into a left winger. Here's Jack Gurr. He's pish. Like, there's just so many examples of him. And, and actually what's interesting as well, and I'm not, I, I never even really thought about it until now you've pulled up that slide deck again now. But developing a, a co on a core of homegrown talent, right? And somebody else today messaged me um, who is uh, an agent in, in the game. And his view was around the fact that in his mind, we had too many 
foreign imports in the team this season, all in one go, and too many high-risk signings all in the team at the same time, so especially in, in recent weeks. And it it made me think about it a bit more because, you know, it is a relatively high-risk strategy that we're kind of trying to adopt now. I think we all get very excited when we see players coming in from markets we've not really dabbled in before, and we've had some hits out of that this season. There's there's no question about that. There's been some misses as well, potentially, or some that, who, the, who the, the jury is still out on, very much so. Um, but do we have the right blend of people with a, a level of experience of Scottish football with the level of experience just in, in British football, what this all kind of means sometimes. We are going down that very high-risk strategy as well when it comes to transfers and in terms of trying to find young players to develop and bring on. But are they, by doing by going down this route, are we really now building a core of homegrown talent? I don't think so. Well, you know, there's, there's maybe like reasons for it, but, you know, you look at last season, uh, one of our bright sparks was Connor Barron. Um, we obviously upset his agent yeah very publicly and you know off the back of that we've not seen Connor Barron's performances match what he came up with and we're probably at this rate going to lose him he's not featuring in the team at all we're playing again I'm not singling Leighton Clarkson out because I think he's a good player but we're playing a player from Liverpool yeah. in his position rather than develop our own player um I think when it comes to the question of did we bring in too many imports I think we get excited because we like to think that this idea that these guys are going to come with probably a very limited knowledge of Scottish football and the, the traditions and the institutions that exist within the game and they might, you know, be more defiant. And we've seen that with uh, with Duke, we've seen that with Boyan Miofsky specifically, yeah. but has, are there enough characters in there that can handle a game like Darvel, for example? I mean, bizarrely though, it's probably something like Tony Stewart who's who I look at and actually go, of all the players we signed in the summer, He's the one who you would look at and think, looking at his CV, he's the one who should be able to come in and adapt to this the easiest. And he's got a good level of experience under his belt, so he probably shouldn't be phased too much by, as you say, the institutions and all the pesh that goes around certain teams and all that kind of stuff. But he's the one who looks like a rabbit caught in the headlights most of the time. I don't know. It was an interesting tip, but it wasn't something I really necessarily thought about a lot of. I'm kind of loath to go down that road a little bit because I actually think that in the main... It's actually been the lads who've come in from abroad who've been the bright spots. Um, some of them. In the main, I would say the ones who've come in from... If we're taking it to the kind of the beginning of the data mobile recruitment era, I think you're probably maybe 50-50. Okay, well, um, it's an interesting thought anyway, isn't it? That we seem to be running contrary to that philosophy in a number of different areas already. I do wonder if we would benefit. Maybe some results wouldn't happen if we had... And I mean, this is such a Tim Sherwood style cliche, but if we had maybe some people that understood what it meant to play for Aberdeen. I can see people now screaming at me, what does that mean though? I mean, I'm not saying that I would have moved heaven and earth to keep him, but would we really have suffered if like, just like trying to go at the negotiation table to someone like Andrew Considine? I don't know. I don't know. I It's a hard one to kind of make a judgment call on from that perspective, but I, there is, it feels to me right now as well within the club, because it feels like now after today, especially, we kind of almost have to do an entire post-mortem of the entire club setup. And I really don't want to go down that road right now. I think you could do an entire episode on this. But has it become too comfortable at Aberdeen Football Club just across the board for so many different people? It, it, in a number of ways, it's, it occasionally feels to me like it's an old boys club that 
people can come in and you know truth be told i i, I don't know enough about what certain people at at the club's performance levels are like um i don't know how good a coach Derek young is for example within the youth academy i don't know how good a coach Stuart Duff is within the academy. I don't know how good a coach Fraser Fivey is within the academy. I'm not wanting to single out these individual people, but it's just the first names that come to mind. Um, you know, Johnny Hayes has been guaranteed now effectively a job for life if he wants it almost within the club because he'll be on the coaching side. Again, he might be very, very good on that side of things. Neil Simpson, Gothenburg great, legend of the club, unquestionably. Still there. And I'm not entirely sure what Neil's doing, if I'm honest. You know, and and what role he fulfills and whether he's the best person to be doing that. Uh, you've got guys like, we've touched on it, Stephen Gunn a million times before. Shouldn't be in the job he's in. I'm sure there's more examples of it that could come to mind. Um, has it just become all a bit too cosy and a bit too comfortable for a lot of people? And when the boss is away, which Dave Cormack is in the, in the main, the culture just sinks. Um, I don't think Dave Cormack's presence necessarily impacts the, the level of culture and the standards that go with it. Does it? I mean, he's the head of the table. <laughs> he is the head of the table. Acknowledge him. Um, and he's he, this all, where we are, it all culminates, it all correlates, sorry, very nicely with his having a greater say in the running of our football club. He was there at Darville. He, he was. saw it in front of his own eyes. Yeah. And uh, he's decided along with his esteemed uh, group of football and monitoring board, board members, members. <laughs> that it's totally unacceptable, but also in a way, it's not, all right. Not, not totally unacceptable because the manager is still here. If, if being beaten by Darville in the Scottish Cup is not a sackable offence, just what is? I keep on coming back to that really fundamental question. Yeah, anyone that is in the future sacked by uh, Dave Cormack will be able to pull that up as an example. And just exactly. say, well, it wasn't that bad, was it? Yeah, I. There's so much to dissect and so much to to <laughs> rebuild from the very foundations. Um, it feels. I think Graham was right. We feel like we're just slipping further and further back into pre McInnes, pre Calderwood, just laughing stock era. And I don't entirely um, embrace and welcome our new banter years, overlords. Yeah, it does. It feels very inevitable right now, doesn't it? That's we're just sleepwalking into the island of irrelevancy. Irrelevancy. I don't trust the people that are at the top of our hoopla club have the capacity for introspection to recognise that you know what, maybe they're part of the problem. Yeah, and I think you know what I've said. Uh, I said it on um, on the telly, live TV. By the way, didn't quite realise that was going to happen. <laughs> um, Sacking Jim Goodwin is is the tip of the iceberg. Um, if we want this, the personnel in the boardroom to to be our our guiding our guiding light, we're just going to continue taking various stabs in the dark at it, and we might get lucky once or twice. But by and large, Stuart Milne got lucky twice, twice, once yeah. even. I don't even think Jimmy Caldwood was. I'd a actually one. I don't think Jimmy Caldwood was Milne's choice. That was clearly Willie Miller's pick when he got brought back in as director of football. And two, Jimmy at least was on an upward trajectory in terms of what he'd done at Dunfermline. when he came in with a, a decent track record of what he'd done at Dunfermline. So it wasn't that much of a, never, a gamble. It was maybe a gamble, but it... Never brought us the uh, the old two at the back, though, which I was always disappointed about. Uh, he did try it once at Ibrox. Oh, was that when we got B5-0? Yes. Quite early oh, on in yeah. his tenure. Um, 
and then nice. never did it again. Presumably Rangers won the league on goal difference that season. I'm just saying. Um, in fact, I think they might have. Was that not? Um, is that when it went down to like that Kil- Rangers Kilmarnock or Rangers Dunfermline and Rangers Kilmarnock? We played Hearts. It was the uh, it was the same day that. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I do. We didn't that. qualify for Europe. Um, um, Lubomir Blaha scored for Aberdeen that day. Can't remember. It was the Lee Miller game. It was the game where everyone was, was trying to tell Lee Miller to come and sign for Aberdeen. Did Lubomir Blaha score for Aberdeen? Answers uh, on a postcard. I think he might. Uh, uh, can't remember. Anyway, if you were um, there, let us know. Did you see a Lubomir Blaha goal? <laughs> so he got lucky with. I didn't get lucky with Caldwood because that was William Miller's shout. And he got lucky with Adam McInnes. Nothing in McInnes's track record indicated he would do as well as he did for the. I think you could. I think you look years. at what he'd done, and I, I, I actually genuinely again, people might laugh at this. I think that when Jim Goodwin does eventually leave Aberdeen, that could serve as his Bristol City for Derek McInnes, and he'll come back with a real point to prove. I think Derek McInnes, you know, had had something about him that you could tell that he could galvanize a team. Um, anyway, let's not anyway, go down. Let's not go let's down not the rabbit. Down that the uh, yeah, the rabbit hole yeah, of talking about Derek McInnes yeah. too much. Um, no. But yeah, I'm, when it comes to the point, I'm like, where are we? Where do we go? And uh, yeah, I'm, I don't know. We'll probably need to leave that for next week when inevitably we get beat at Hibs on Saturday. And no, no, we'll win at Hibs. You think so? Yeah, we'll don't win at Hibs. We'll, we'll release a statement saying "Oh, just so." <laughs> I, I don't and see then it we'll move on. I'm honest because I I think it's going to be so toxic. The entire stadium. I, have you ever seen two teams willed by their support to lose the game? To be honest, I almost think that we should just like forego the football game and just set up a Thunderdome between Lee Johnson and Jim Goodwin. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure Lee Johnson will get sacked even if we beat them, to be honest with you. Um, is it's... it possible for two teams to lose one game? <laughs> well, Tune in on Saturday to find out. Uh, yeah, maybe we should just leave it there just now, Gav, because I think we might have to revisit a lot of this next week. Um, um, and and yeah. even if it's not even if it's not Saturday, if if you if we win on Saturday, but then we get beat by I think our next two after that are St. Mirren St. Mirren's next after that, and then Motherwell. Yeah, I mean there'll be some poetic symmetry, wouldn't there? About it, if it's St. Mirren come to Pataudry and beat us, St. Mirren who have the who have a worse record on the road than we do, by the way, this season. If they come to Pataudry and they're the ones who put the final knife in the back throat whatever of this of the Jim Goodwin experience I yeah maybe maybe we should just let it go now I don't know um, I think we don't have anything to fear with St Mirren they, they did let go of the lone wolf today so that's their striking options at uh, so an all-time low you're going all positive now Gav you, you you're now expecting us to win the next two I'm just finding a hilarious idea that Ross County think that Eamon Brophy is going to solve their goal scoring <laughs> problems I know uh, well yeah yeah anyway uh Another tick in the box as to why Malky Mackay should absolutely not be considered in the running for the Aberdeen job. Yes, he nor pretty much anyone on the uh, the old traditional bookies list. Fucking some of those names, mate. Maybe that's what happened today. Maybe they looked at those names and were just like, "Fuck, it's it's not it's not that bad, actually, is it?" (laughs) Um. Anyway, let's um. So yeah, should we leave it here? I think later on in the week we'll bring you our actual preview of the Hibs game at Easter Road we've had a chat with um, Gary you had a chat with a member of the Hibs supporting community yes I spoke with Colin from the Long Bangers what a great name Long Bangers podcast tonight um, it's, I'm not going to lie it's pretty miserable listening as well because it's <laughs> two supporters who just have got no idea what the fuck is going on with their football clubs but um, yeah Gav we'll, we'll come back on 
don't know, Friday or Saturday and do something with that. Yeah, for the fans that are planning on going to East Road, and I believe we've actually been allocated more tickets on account of that we've sold out our section, I which know. is just frankly fucking mad. If you maybe want to like bring like Aberdeen football philosophy bingo cards, this is what you need to note down once more. It's awareness, football mastery, responsibility, positivity, desire, speed, dominate 1v1, executes under pressure, never beaten, and be heard. Make sure you're heard on Saturday afternoon, Red Army. Make sure you're heard. On We've that def- note... We have definitely been heard this week. Yeah, we have. On that note... Well, have we? I don't know. Uh, on that note, Gav, um, we'll see you on the other side, yeah? I'll see you later in the week. Nice one. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds.